Welcome to another episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. In today's episode, we're talking all about all of the noise in the market when it comes to CMMC as well as DFARS, NIST, SP800, and 171. We here at Mission Compliance want to help clear up some of that noise for our listeners. Join us as we uncover common misconceptions and misunderstandings that may keep defense contractors on the sidelines of being compliant. Whether you're a small or mid-sized defense contractor, compliance is a must, and we here at OnCall have a specific set of skills to not only make it easier to understand, but to get it done for you and quickly. Sit back and tune in while we here clear up the complexities of and the alphabet soup that is the world of compliance regulations. Let's hit it. Today, we have some fresh blood in the mission compliance hot seat, Matt Scheid with On-Call Compliance Solutions. Matt is a senior lead compliance solutions engineer with us, who is also a CMMC registered practitioner. So if you've got compliance questions, Matt's got the answers. Thanks for joining us, Matt. I'm glad to be here. So Matt, it might seem like a no-brainer for a podcast known as Mission Compliance, But as mentioned in the intro, we're here today to focus on just that, compliance. So you talk to a lot of business owners and defense contractors about compliance. What what is the most common misconception or commonly misunderstood thing about DFARS, NIST SP 800-171 and CMMC for those trying to figure this compliance stuff out? You know, that's a tough question because there's not just one. There's probably two or three really common misconceptions that that I that I run into all the time. Um, one of them is, hey, I'm a sub under a prime, so I don't have to be compliant, you know, and that's that's actually not accurate. The other one is that um it takes forever to get compliant, or it takes a long time to get compliant. And you know. That's really not the case, especially when it's when it's the core competency of what you do is to provide DFARS and NIST compliance. When you when you're in a position where you've done it hundreds of times, it it doesn't have to take months and months and months. So one of the biggest misconceptions is that it's this giant mountain that you have to climb that's going to take months and months to get done. Um, and part of that is that there are there are some companies in the space that have programs that they're offering that take months and months, right? And so I, I think a lot of people feel like it's it's such a tough thing that it's going to take a long time. But if it's something that you do every day and you've done hundreds of times, that that's really not the case. I mean, we literally get it done in days for people and our program's audit tested. So we know what we're, we're providing works. One of the things that I've heard is that Companies and defense contractors can get false information about this thing called an SPRS score. But what about this SPRS score thing? There's so sure. much noise. There's so much noise about this out there. What what is an SPRS score, and what are some of the most common things that defense companies just miss about it? Yeah, so there's two things going on with the SPRS score, and and they're both a little bit scary right now. So. An SPRS score is a supplier risk assessment score that you determine by going through the NIST remediation path, right? There's 110 controls. You look through all of those controls, what you have in place, you come up with this score. The misconception right now is coming from the bigger contractors. 
They have many suppliers who have been fulfilling contracts on an ongoing basis and have renewals that come up. And then they get a questionnaire every time they have to do that renewal or these contracts come up. And the questions are starting to change in the questionnaires. They're being much more specific about, are you DFARS compliant? Are you NIST compliant? You know, I actually saw a Boeing questionnaire last week and it asked, what level of CMMC are you applying for and when will you have it? And, and CMMC isn't even a law yet. They haven't even finalized the rulemaking on it yet, right? So it's a little bit early to be asking about that. But here's the thing. The vendors are saying, hey, in order to renew the contract, I need you to get an SPRS score in the system. And so what contractors are hearing is, awesome, I'm going to do this quick assessment and I'm going to put the score in the system and then I can get back to doing my work and fulfilling this contract. Here's the misconception. If you do the assessment and enter a score and stop, that's basically a, a, the, the definition of a false claim. Just in essence, by starting this self-assessment, you have to go through a full gap analysis. And for every gap that you identify, you have to identify a solution and an implementation date and a review date, right? And a date that it's coming off your POAM. You can't simply just put a score in and then go back to your day job there's no grace period. There's no, hey, I get six months if I put the score in, right? There's some confusion about that. There's, they're talking about limiting the, the length of a poem, but that's something else that, that people drag on and on in, in a way that is really unnecessary. But to get back to the SPRS score, what the contractors are hearing is, if I put that score in, I can get back to work. And so they're just doing that and stopping and going back to doing their whatever critical function they perform for 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 the in terms of defense contracting but it puts them in a in a non-compliant state meanwhile the contractor that has requested that SPRS score now has a piece of paper in their file saying that this company has an SPRS score by its very nature that means that they have gone through developed the deliverables, done the training, completed a program, because you because again, you can't just start and stop. You have to go all the way through and get compliant. If you think about it too, if you really actually think about it, the government is, doesn't want you, they're not asking you to say, this is how bad my cybersecurity is. And once I show you how bad it is, then I'm gonna go ahead and give you the information. I mean, it just doesn't make any logical sense that that would, that would solve the problem, right? Just putting a score in. The whole point of the POEM and the SSP and the SPRS score, which by the way, the SPRS score was a DFARS addition to 7012 that was added because contractors weren't adopting DFARS and NIST and, and implementing it the way they were supposed to. So all of this stuff, you know, at the end of the day, points back to DFARS and getting that done. That's what they're enforcing right now. That's what they're auditing for. But an SPRS score, you can't just put the score in and stop. By its very nature, going through that remediation path means that you have to go through the entire process to completion. And the reality is, if you're going to be doing defense work, you want to do that anyway, right? Get compliant, have it done, and get back to the day job that you do that's important, that makes you money, that isn't compliance, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So now I know a lot of defense companies look at compliance as something they have to do. But what's fascinated me since starting to do this podcast is the idea that compliance can, in fact, be 
a, a type of leverage used to actually grow defense sales. So why do companies out there seem to be missing the point with all this DFARS, NIST, and CMMC stuff? Because I know on-call really has a unique twist in turning this compliance stuff into leverage for defense companies. What is everyone out there in the defense world missing out on? Yeah, so the, the what is happening from my perspective, and I talk to probably three to five defense contractors a day in, in the position that I'm in, which is which is awesome because they all do cool work, you know, and it's and it's so diverse. So it's really it, it keeps me on my toes. I get to talk to really neat companies that are doing different things. What's the question? What is everyone out there missing out on with all this DFARS, NIST, and CMMC stuff? Because they think yes. it's some, you know, because they think it's something they have to do as opposed to something that can help them leverage. Right. So here's what's happening. Most companies and most employees and management and decision makers in those companies are viewing compliance the same way that they view a typical IT expense. And I don't mean any offense to anybody, but management views IT as this bottomless pit, this black hole, right, that they shovel money into, that they have to do that in order to do business, but they don't really see a return on it, right? And so they've kind of got that mindset about compliance too, because, hey, it's the law, you have to do it. It's ugly if you don't and you get caught, right? It's something that you have to do. But the reality is that it's not like a typical IT expense where it's just an expense that you don't see a return on. This is something totally different. This is absolutely an investment in a revenue stream that is not only recession proof, but it's pandemic proof. You know, I joke, you know, until we have world peace, defense dollars, I mean, they just keep trucking along no matter what's going on in the rest of the world. So that can be a really um, awesome way to make a company really resilient during uncertain economic times, right? If you do commercial and defense work, you can count on your defense dollars continuing through good times and bad times, you know, regardless of what's going on in the world, those defense dollars keep coming in. So when you get out in front of that and you are compliant, if I'm a contract officer and I have to get four bids or three bids for every opportunity, right? I have a page or two or three of specs that that contract requires. And then I've got a page or two of IT and compliance stuff. If I know that a vendor is already DFARS and NIST compliant, that cuts out half the work on every one of the bids that I have to get. So I'm gonna throw as much RFQs and Ps at them as I possibly can because it cuts my work in half because I know that they're already out in front of this stuff. You know, the Government Accounting Office issued a really interesting graphic, which I'll let you uh, pull up in a moment and show, show our, our viewers. But what it shows basically is that since 2015, roughly right around there, the Department of Defense has spent more money every single year than they did the year before. But at the same time, since about 2015, what we're also seeing is that there are less and less vendors, literally in the thousands, that are participating for those dollars. What I'm hearing in the field, what contractors are telling me is, you know, Matt, I spent $150,000 to get ISO 27001 certified and ASE certified and SOC 2. So, I mean, you name it, you jam four or five letters together and there's a certification that you get, you know, for some cyber cybersecurity. Here's the thing. None of those commercial cybersecurity certifications are enforced in a way where you are penalized and fined if you don't hit them. 
what we tell our folks that do both types of work is that, you know what, don't worry about the, co the commercial stuff. Do your defense compliance, leverage that to grow that defense business and those resilient dollars, that revenue stream coming in and tell your commercial folks, hey, you know what? We're not ISO 27001, sir. We're DFARS and NIST certified, which is a lot more stringent because we do work in the defense world. So we actually have more stringent controls in place than the types of things that you're talking about with those commercial certifications. So the main miss, the main thing that people are missing is that this compliance stuff is really an investment in your contract relationships and in growing your DOD vertical dollars, right? There are less competitors each year competing for more dollars in the defense space. So it's a wonderful time to be doing compliance. And again, it's something that does not have to be a gigantic mountain to climb. We can come in and make it easy, teach you you know, exactly what you need to know to maintain it and get you back to that day job that you were hired for that, that wasn't compliance. Right. And, uh, and to your point about, about, you know, some companies viewing IT as, as a bottomless pit with no return, you know, I, I, I view IT as kind of the, it's kind of the baseball umpires of the, of the business world. You know, that if, if their job's being done right, you don't even notice they're there. The second you notice they're there, it's usually because there's a problem. And then, <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of the, the parallel that I draw there. You know what I find funny too is that you know there's 110 technical controls and it seems like in almost every company it either lands on the IT manager's desk or the quality manager's desk and the reality is only about a third of this stuff is IT right a third is physical security a third is policies and training and procedures but boy they sure lump it all on IT or, or quality even sure. though it involves admin and policy and HR and a lot of other departments it seems to fall um, you know, to IT, even though that's only about 30% of it, 33% of it. So uh, I, I always find that comical that the poor IT guys get stuck with this. And um, man, we make it easy. We, we, we help delegate the responsibility so that the correct departments are handling their portion of it. You know, we spread that responsibility out and, uh, you know, keep things moving the way they're supposed to in those companies. Right. Um, so we've now come to our favorite part of the podcast. Um, we talk seriously. We ask three questions and then it's time for the silly question and feel free to, to bring this silly question back around to the topic at hand. But uh, you know, we talk about all the noise that you can hear about regulations and DFARS and NIST and CMMC, that there's a lot of noise out there. We mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but but can't defense contractors just wear noise canceling headphones and cut out all of that noise about compliance? For sure. For sure. They totally can. And you know what? There are those that are doing it. There are those who who I have explained in detail that they can't put a score in. They don't care. My contractor said I could renew if I put the score in, and that's what I'm going to do. Here's the thing. I'm not a gambling man myself because I lose. I'm one of those guys that if I walk by a casino, I'll lose my wallet. Even if I don't go in and gamble, that's how bad of a gambler I am. So mm -hmm. I'm not one to roll the dice, but a lot of folks aren't really familiar with what happens you know, when you do roll the dice and, and there's an audit. You know, if you're audited and you're not compliant, you just put your SPRS score in because that's what the contractor told you to do. You can count on a penalty of triple the contract value. They will then charge you $11,000 per incident of CUI that's in your network. And an incident is like a HIPAA record, right? Each patient record is an incident. 
and they'll revoke that contract. On top of that, if they think that you were doing it on purpose, you know, they'll blacklist you from doing government work moving forward. So it's a funny question, but it's not a funny answer. No, um, no. And me not being a gambling man, especially in, in a business atmosphere, it's just not something that you want to get out of front of. But the, the reality is that's not the reason to do it. The reason to do it is the growth that our customers are seeing. Even customers who aren't pushing the fact that they're compliant, just having the correct score in the system and having vendors going in there looking for compliant compliant suppliers, they're organically receiving requests for bids and proposals. So, you know, it really is an investment in growth and resilient revenue that, that will really sustain a company through uncertain economic times. Moral of the story is if you put on no a noise canceling headphones, if you try to drown out all of the noise and you don't do this compliance stuff, it could be very, very costly, both figuratively and literally for your business. So that's, those are all the questions I have for you. That wraps up another exciting episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to thank Matt for joining us today as, as the newest member of the Mission Compliance hot seat. Thanks, Matt. Hey, pleasure to be here. Look forward to coming back again. And if anybody has any questions, get them over to me and we'll get you answers straight away. Absolutely, Matt is your guy, but the conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners by using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. That's us. You can also visit our website at missioncompliancepodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and bonus content. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes are released. And we'd truly appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us again on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time.